This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. We give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is Andy Santanello, Senior Military Behavioral Health Psychologist at the Center for Deployment Psychology, and uh, welcome to Practical for Your Practice. I'm really excited that I've got a really good friend of mine here today and a, a fellow senior uh, behavioral health psychologist, Dr. Corinne Lefkowitz. Hey, Corinne. Hello, Andy. So do you want to tell uh, our listeners a little bit about who you are and, and what you do at the center? Sure. Well, at the center, I focus on evidence-based treatments for PTSD and insomnia. So much like you, do a lot of training and consultation in those areas. Been here for about six years. And prior to that, I worked for the VA system, medical system. I guess relevant to what we're going to be talking about today, I've been full-time telework for about six years at this point, with the exception of in the past, in the way past, when we would actually travel for trainings. I've been working from home for a long time, uh, as have you. And I think that'll be relevant to what we chat about today. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I remember early on in the pandemic a year ago, and it's really hard to believe it's been a year. I remember talking to, actually, it was my therapist. And uh, he was saying, how's it going? And I said, "Um, it's actually not going too bad. I'm kind of used to this working from home thing, you know, besides not traveling you know, being a bit of an introvert myself, it, it was a little bit easier to adjust at the beginning, I think, than maybe for some other folks. And we're lucky to have been working from home for a while now. But there have been some bumps in the road for me since that time. And I'm guessing there might have been some for you as well. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I had the same experience of that you did, that when lockdown started and stay-at-home order started, my nine to five didn't change at all. That was like, I was used to that. I was fine with that. That was not different, but everything after five o'clock each day was super weird. (laughs) Yeah. Super weird. Well, and like even that, that line between work and not work, Mm -hmm. like first it was a little blurry and now it sort of feels like I don't, I don't even know if the line is there anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So today, you know, the topic we were going to get into a bit um, is practicing what we preach. You know, you and I are both practicing psychologists and we, you know, we use evidence-based psychotherapy in our practice and you and I are both, you know, evidence-based psychotherapy trainers or, you know, CPT trainers. Um, You also train folks in uh, CBTI and I train folks in ACT. So, you know, this is something professionally that we've really worked hard to make a, a, a main feature of our work. And so the question that we thought it might be interesting to get into today is like how much of our own advice and skills are we using with these challenges that we're facing? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, that's a really good question. Is it fair to say that it varies from day to day? <laughs> I think it is fair to say. I think it's realistic too, for sure. Yeah. 
I don't know if this is true for you, but for me, one of the things I've kind of noticed is that because I know all this stuff, you know, to do for other folks when they're struggling with things like depressed mood or anxiety, or if they're engaging in a lot of avoidance behaviors, or if they've got a lot of unhelpful thoughts that they're getting caught up with, I just sort of assume sometimes that I'm immune to that stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's something that you kind of noticed. Uh, I don't know that I thought I was immune to it, but I think I was at, at least initially not realizing how much I was susceptible to it, if that makes sense. I didn't realize yeah. how much I was going through my day to day, not doing those things that mm -hmm. I was advising other people to do or being um, really affected by the lack of social connection. For example, I just kind of didn't notice it. And then I had to become really much more vigilant and noticing it in myself and, and addressing it. Was there something that kind of tipped you off and helped you to start to notice it? Oh gosh, going back a full year, thinking about that. I'm sure that at the outset, after the first couple of weeks, I, I probably started feeling down because I, I'm more of an extrovert. And mm -hmm. for me, you know, I said, I, I've been used to working from home and not really physically seeing people during the day. That's not new, although it did take me time to adjust when I first started teleworking six years ago, but a year ago I was used to it. But part of why I was used to it is because I had kind of an elaborate plan for myself that I had set up without really thinking about it, where I had my um, actually 8.30 to 4.30 work day. And just about every day at like 4.35, I was out the door doing something. So I had like my Monday class at the gym that I would go to with a good friend of mine. And I had Tuesday night trivia night at the, the local pub every Tuesday, you know, and Thursdays I had a dance class that I went to. So I think after the first few weeks, I realized I was really down because all of that stuff just went away literally overnight. And I didn't have that social engagement that I had worked so hard to cultivate and like to really get into a routine about. Yeah, it, it kind of went away really fast. And then it, you know, it took you a couple of weeks to really notice the impact of it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Similar to, you know, so one of the things, it took a little bit longer for me to to really put my finger on it. You know, that's where we're different. I'm I'm the I'm the introvert in in our our relationship, you and I. <laughs> um and so I started to notice my mood fluctuating. I started to notice that my preferences for being alone and the alone time that I'm used to getting uh, became almost like needs. So almost like not agoraphobia is not the right word for it, but almost the sense of like, it was a real struggle even to, to get out and do things. And also this recognition that that was really missing. You know, I wasn't seeing, you know, my good friends who I haven't seen in a long time. Um, I wasn't able to get, get out to the animal shelter and, you know, volunteer as a, a cat cuddler. That's the official title. <laughs> I had I, in I've nursery nanny. Actually, I've seen your ribbon. I know. That's true. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and especially when the pandemic started, it was uh, in it was in spring, which is uh, kitten season, and so I missed. You know, I had all the special training to be a nursery nanny, and I, I missed <laughs> I missed kitten season. So things like that, I started to notice, and then once once winter hit, and sort of you know, it wasn't even a possibility to go outside. That's when I started to notice 
pretty much everything else in my life was about the same in terms of work. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, I was even busier than I had been before. And it dawned on me eventually, like, I'm not really doing, I'm doing a lot of meaningful stuff, but I'm not doing stuff that's fun or that's about caring for myself. Mm -hmm. That's a really important point that I've forgotten. I think when lockdown started last year, it, you know, it was little around this time and on the East coast, you know, we're moving into or Northeast, we're moving into spring. So, and then we went into summer. And so the weather was always mostly good enough that I could be outside and I could be around people. And I still felt comfortable, like going for a walk with a friend, if we stood far enough from each other, um, or going out for a run and, and at least getting outside, but it definitely got worse for me, you know, come fall, come winter when, and I was just locked in the house um, yeah. and had no opportunity to have to be outdoors and to be with other people. And, and those things, you know, I think you start to really notice them when they're not there, mm-hmm. you know, and with the, with COVID and there being so many restrictions, they're, they're sort of a, or not the best way to describe it, but it's almost like an excuse to not want or worry about those things. Mm-hmm because it's not possible. And then it, it also at the same time, doesn't, you know, really mean that you're not feeling the impact of not having those things in your life. Mm -hmm. So have you noticed that there have been strategies that you've been using, you know, evidence-based strategies that you've used from, you know, your, your clinical work that have, have helped you to sort of cope with all the stuff that all of us are dealing with? Definitely. And, and to your earlier point, I mean, I had to be really kind of thoughtful about it and applying it once I realized, uh, it, you know, it was becoming an issue for me. Some of it was a lot easier than others. So like, you know, even though I, I lost the gym, which, you know, I used to go to the gym three, four times a week. So I lost that, but I was really good. I, I know how important exercise is for me. That's my number one kind of stress management tool. So just like I would recommend to a client, I got into a routine. And every day when I shut off my computer at 4.30, instead of going to the gym, I went in front of the TV and put on a YouTube workout video and I got my workout in. And I mean, I've been really consistent about that the entire year. And that has been a really good thing for me. Now, another tool that I use that I work with clients on is there are plenty of days that I don't want to do that, of course, (laughs) and it's easier to say, you know, I'll just take a break today. I don't really feel like doing this. And so I break it into smaller increments and I say, well, you know what? I'm just going to do it for five minutes. That's it. And if I want to stop at minute six, I can. And if I feel like I'll keep going, then I'll keep going, but I only have to do five minutes. And honestly, to this day, there's not been a single day that I've stopped you know, my workout at five minutes. So breaking things into more manageable units and seeing things as, you know, a smaller uh, task definitely has been something I've, I've needed to apply. So that has been good. I don't know about you, Andy, but I heard from a lot of friends, especially early pandemic, and I won't mention any names since we have a lot of friends in common, but a lot of friends um, were drinking a lot more at the start of the pandemic, like they were super bored, didn't have anything else to do. And either they were drinking alcohol or just eating more. And so I, I became really mindful about that. I didn't, I didn't want to just eat tons of chocolate. I mean, I do want (laughs) to eat tons of chocolate, but I didn't want to eat extra chocolate or drink every day just because I was bored. So really pausing and and using um, some self inquiry to ask, what am I feeling right now? Am I actually hungry or am I bored? And if I'm bored, let me find something to do. 
So those are some of the techniques that worked for me. I certainly have plenty that didn't work as well, but I'm curious <laughs> what worked for you. Well, so in, in sort of listening to you describe all of that, there's also another, I think, really important, I guess, technique is maybe a way of thinking about it or skill that you use in all of that, which is observation and, and sort of self-observation across all of the things you said. It's, I think, something as therapists we often take for granted because we're so used to focusing that those observation skills outward. Um, but you being able to sort of reorient and turn it towards yourself and kind of noticing like with your example of the gym, you know, you weren't able to get to the gym, but that value of exercise was still important to you. So being creative and figuring out a new way to do that. And I really love the idea of breaking things down to make them more manageable into smaller chunks mm -hmm. and also paying attention to kind of what you're doing that's healthy in terms of coping and things that might work in the short term, like, you know, drinking more and eating more chocolate because you're bored. And I can certainly relate to that. And so, you know, paying attention to that too. So that, that sort of awareness and observation, I think is something I've also used a lot of too. And sometimes I get where I get stuck is knowing that something might be helpful and I know what to do. And I don't do it. Like it's almost like magically because I know what to do. It's like, oh, okay, that'll solve the problem. It's like the example of uh, doing things you don't want to do. Right. One of the the skills that I've kind of um, been using lately that's been helping is something called the impossible game. Have you ever heard of this? No. What is that? Um, I can't take credit for it. It's, it's uh, something that Steve Hayes wrote about in a in a blog post, and we'll we'll put that in the the show notes. But it's this sort of game you play with yourself, and when you notice that your mind tells you that something is impossible, and that's something that might be good for you, you play this game like, well. I'm going to see if it really is impossible. So like, for example, on those cold, dark winter days, when my mind is saying it absolutely would not be possible for me to get up today, go meditate and then work out. There's just no way it'd be like, came a game like, well, I bet you I can meditate for an hour and work out for a half hour. I'm going to try it, you know, just as sort of a game to see if you can get going, which sort of takes some of the seriousness out of it. I like that. Yeah. So it's not, it's not like this, I should, or I must do this, which, you know, we know rarely works, rarely is helpful, rarely gets us excited about doing things, but making it into a little bit of a game or a, a healthy, fun challenge of sorts. Right. Yeah. And if I don't manage to do the whole thing for an hour, or if I don't, you know, like do the workout, I was thinking at least I'm getting out of bed and starting to behave you know, getting that sort of um, behavioral activation stuff going, which is really important. And something we try to get our depressed clients to do when they're not feeling motivated is start to do stuff first. And then they get some of that momentum going versus like waiting for the motivation to show up first. Yeah. Behavioral activation. I feel like if I was going to summarize anything about how I've handled this year, that would be it. Like really just setting a goal, making it small and manageable, as we said, and just getting started and not worrying about the end goal, but just getting started. And of course, as we would expect to see with most of our clients, once you get started, it's easy. It's a lot easier to build momentum and keep going. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned there were some things that didn't work so well. I don't know if there's anything that comes to mind or <laughs> yeah, I can think I, of some too. You know, it's so I, I said, I'm an extrovert and I am, but I, <laughs> 
you know, I'm like the princess and the pea, and I have very specific types of social interaction that I want to do. <laughs> so I like being with people. I like to, I like to be in front of people, talking with people, doing something together. I absolutely despise talking on the phone, and I really actually don't like texting much either. So thinking about how to maintain social engagement during COVID has been really hard because I know that I feel better when I talk with people, even though it's on the phone or it's texting and I don't love it. I feel better than not talking to them at all, but it is really hard to pick up that phone. I, I just hate it. And I have definitely not been as good at that as I would like to be. Um, there have been days that I've literally said to myself, you have not spoken to a single friend, you know, somebody outside of work all day, you need to pick up the phone and find somebody in your contacts to reach out to. Um, it just does not come naturally to me, but it is so important for my mental health. Yeah. Like really having to maybe find some outlets that are not as familiar or comfortable or, or, you know, honestly, maybe not as good. Yeah. You know, and having to settle and sort of recalibrate, you know, um, expectations and things like that. Yeah. It's a sad substitution for me, you know, compared to being with people, but it is one of those times where I've had to accept it might be good enough for right now. That recalibration there, not to, to good enough versus optimal, I find as a, like a practice that I have to continue to do and, and not just in sort of my personal life, but my professional life too. There are just certain things that I know, despite um, how hard I try or how much fidelity I have to the protocol I'm using, um, that are, that might make the work I'm doing not make it suboptimal. You know, like just knowing that uh, there's maybe a lower ceiling for our clients right now in terms of improvement based on just everything we're living through. Um, and the technology, even though it's pretty good with telehealth, maybe something is lost, you know, and, and sort of uh, not having in-person interaction. So one of the things I have noticed more and more that I'm leaning on is, is really self-compassion. And um, so there's a really great uh, guided meditation by Kristen Neff. It's a self-compassion exercise for therapists. I actually know that one. Oh, you do. Have you used it? I have. I like Kristen oh. Neff. Great. Has it been helpful? Yes, that's another area where I'm not great at doing it consistently, even though it would be healthy for me. But when I do it, Same. it is great. But I'm sorry, I cut you off. Continue. No, no, I I want you to cut me off. Keep doing that. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, I mean, that's, I think you're right. I've had the same experience with it. Um, when I'm doing it, it's like, this, this is really helpful. And then I know it's a thing that would be helpful to do. And often I just don't do it. So it's just, you know, process of coming back to rediscovering it and then forgetting again and coming back and rediscovering it. And right. I think that too has sort of helped me appreciate it, sort of an aspect of our client's experience with all this evidence-based stuff that we're doing, uh, especially if we've introduced something in the past to a client that's helped been helpful to them, you know, they might forget it. And it's not that it hasn't been helpful, but they're stuck again and they forget to use it or they know they should and they don't actually follow through with it. So um, it's sort of been good in terms of my like clinical development too, to just pay attention to that process as it happens in my own life. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated, appreciate that you brought up self-compassion 
Um, that has been the other area for me that has been really important in, in the past year. And, you know, as you're talking, I hear you sort of alluding to, we need to have compassion for our clients. Um, and we typically do, we have compassion that, and if they forget that a skill worked, we don't shame them for that. Right. And yet we do that to ourselves. Um, oh yeah. Right. So we, you know, Oh, why aren't I meditating? I should be meditating. What's <laughs> wrong with me. It'll make me feel better. Yeah. Um, and so self-compassion focusing on that and really making that a priority has been a big need for me over the past year. Um, just remembering that we are, none of us are at our ideal state. None of us have all of our resources that we usually have. All of us are feeling some level of stress. I feel very fortunate in comparison to others, right? I was already working from home. There's been no danger financially to, um, losing my job or getting my hours cut. So in so many ways, you know, I'm healthy. Everybody who I uh, care about has been healthy. So I've been incredibly fortunate, way more fortunate than others. And yet it has still been really hard. And so remembering that has been really important and reminding myself that I don't need to be perfect either in my professional life or in my personal life. And, you know, one thing that that really I had to get over was, I don't know if you've seen this, Andy, but there have been a lot of suggestions and encouragement to use this opportunity for personal growth and to achieve more than you have before and to Mm -hmm. use this time to do something meaningful. And that's all great and good. And it would be wonderful if we could all have some post-pandemic, you know, growth. That's great. Also, that's nonsense. I think think it is okay that some days we're just struggling to get through the day or the week. We're struggling to just meet our minimum requirements. We're scared about what's going on. We're worried about family members. We're worried about whatever. Um, It's actually okay to just kind of survive this process without extensive growth. I'm so glad that you you said that. And I think psychologists and mental health practitioners in general are especially prone to those expectations about we should be excelling. You know, as much as we try to remind ourselves that we're still human beings and we happen to be in the role of mental health professional, the tendency could be there and to 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 think we we should we should be using this time to excel and to grow and and you're absolutely right. And I appreciate you normalizing the fact that, uh, again, things are suboptimal right now. And it's it's okay to struggle. Um, it's something I, I keep coming back to myself, you know, like reminding myself, like, you're a human being. It's okay. This is hard. One of the things you said in there I thought was kind of interesting. And you mentioned that in comparison to other folks, um, when you kind of look at what you're struggling with versus them, you kind of notice that it maybe is harder for some other people. Do you think like that comparison, and I'm asking because I've kind of gotten stuck here. Do you think that comparison could actually be almost like a cognitive trap that we can get stuck into? Like, even though our lives are stressful and difficult and we need to take care of ourselves, it's like, well, because it's not as hard as somebody else's, then what we're feeling shouldn't be that big of a deal and we don't need to do anything about it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I, I have certainly felt like I, uh, 
I think that I don't have a right to complain or yeah. I don't have a right to vent about right. things because I am so fortunate. Um, and, and it's true that I probably shouldn't be like on social media saying, woe is me. Look at my hard life. I have, you know, I'm working in pajamas just like I always have before. Um, but at the same time, it being difficult is valid. Right. Yeah. And, and I would never tell a client you're not entitled to your feelings. Keep those to yourself. So why, why do I kind of say that to myself? Yeah, I can 100% identify with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, I think that's maybe even another skill if you want to think about it, which is paying attention to those things we're telling ourselves. I mean, we, we talk to clients all the time about paying attention to patterns of problematic thinking, you know, like in CPT, for example, uh, unhelpful thoughts that lead to self-defeating behavior you know, and, and buying into that, you know, those thoughts in the presence of a need or, or discomfort that you could do something about might, you know, lead you to engage in not doing that thing that you need to do, you know, not taking care of yourself. Right. So as we kind of wind down here, the title of this podcast is practical for your practice. And so uh, if you had to think of like one or two little bits of practical advice. You know, if you were, you had another colleague coming to you and saying like, I'm having trouble, I'm struggling. I need to to sort of do a better job taking care of myself. Any thoughts about what you might tell that person? A couple, I have a couple thoughts. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, it feels like it's just going to be repeating what I've already said, but to summarize it, the first thing is figuring out what self-care you need to practice and then making it a priority. And I know that's way easier said than done, but you know, I'll use that example of from myself of getting a workout in every day and making that a routine at 435 every day has made a huge difference for me. So even if folks can find one or two things that are uh, important for their mental health and their physical health for that matter, and get into a routine, start getting into a routine. I think that that has probably been the most helpful thing for me. But I think even more important than that is what we were just talking about, that I I would recommend that just like we tell our clients, we should also practice um, letting go of expectations or letting go of um, rules, especially externally imposed rules, like I should be growing during the pandemic, or if I'm not using this time well, then I'm failing. I think for a lot of us, there are going to be many days where being good enough is good enough. Absolutely. Great suggestions. Maybe I'll add a couple to that. I think, you know, to sort of kind of go along with what you were saying about, uh, making it a priority to do these things, take care of yourself. Um, another bit of advice is to do it, just do it, <laughs> especially when you don't want to, especially when you don't think you deserve to, especially when all those unhelpful rules that you talked about show up uh, and maybe trying that impossible game just to, you know, if it feels like it's heavy and it should and I have to just seeing if you can make a game out of it. Uh, and the other thing, the other common thread that I think that really flowed through our discussion today is awareness. Uh, and not only just being aware of what, what you're dealing with and what you're going through, but also, you know, sort of making room to be a human being and noticing that when you are struggling, 
there's something to do about that. Um, and regardless of whether or not you think you should be, or it's, um, you know, it's not okay for you to struggle. Like if you're struggling, you're struggling. Um, and so in the, in the session and the, um, not session notes. That's another thing we did together a while back or in session. We do a lot together. It's hard to keep track. In the notes for this podcast, we'll have a couple of other resources for you. One in particular I really like is early on in the pandemic, there was a bit of a self-help workbook that um, was free, published by New Harbinger that came out um, about sort of self-care for therapists. And we'll put a link to that in the uh, show notes. And also we mentioned uh, Dr. Kristen Neff and some of the self-compassion exercises that she's got. So we'll we'll put a link there too. So I want to thank you for coming to chat with me today, Corinne. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to hang out and to chat about what's going on. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks everybody. And we'll look forward to chatting with you next time. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and join in on the conversation in the comments. Until next time.